0: Chapter 10 Lejikai woke up and instantly wished he hadn't. Not right now, not like this. Bright light trickled through in soft patches across the unwashed windows in Taryn's hut. She had had more surfaces for sleeping than the stretcher. The floor, for example. He was on said floor now, on a strange smelling mattress Tyron had dragged out from a forgotten corner of her home. And he couldn't breathe. His heart was hammering in his chest. His vision was tunneling. Something wasn't right. His entire body seemed to want to run away with him. Nothing was right. Everything was wrong. He sat up in a cramping, sticky rush, grabbing his water skin that lay beside the mattress. Drinking from it made his mouth taste like iron. Why couldn't he breathe properly? Help, he whispered. It was as if someone was pushing his voice down into his lungs again. Tears were pouring from his eyes. He hit his chest with the ball of his hand, instantly wondering what he did that for. It just hurt. He watched his hands. Or, he watched two hands in front of him that he could follow up to his shoulder, and it was probably his, but he didn't understand how that was possible. He felt the fire in his veins. Felt it trying to get through, get out, ruin something, everything around him. Like a scared animal, he darted to his feet, his long, thin legs feeling like little sticks, sturdy as sun-dried grass. He fell, twig legs buckling underneath him. The room was growing, his vision narrowing again. Help. Help. He whispered again, cramping breaths around every syllable. He could only exhale. He pressed the hands that might be his away from the flammable sheets around him, placed the palms on the stone floor, only to feel it heat up like around a furnace. It was impossible, as always, to tell what set off what. Magic running wild within him causing panic, or panic rushing to latch on to the elements around him. With extreme force, he tried to focus on getting air back in. Eventually, it seemed to have somewhat of an effect. Heat, retracting, not threatening to burst out, not painting soot underneath his fingers. He wanted to think that he had managed to stop it with will, but he knew that it was only exhaustion that retracted the onslaught. Luck, not skill. He started to shake as some sort of aftershock, but at least he didn't feel as if he was actively dying. Folding his arms around his leg, he put his forehead against his knees, an attempt at connecting all the little islands of body again. He felt founts crackle and dim across him, a jagged response to what had just happened. Putting sorting himself out on hold had maybe been unwise. Maybe there was no way of sorting this out. That thought terrified him. He tried to remind himself that he hadn't even brought it up with Taran. Rational thoughts. Ask for help first, come to catastrophic conclusions later. Ask for help. Hollowness set in, deeper than it usually brushed past. He wrapped his tangled hair around his bony fingers across his scalp, too hard, almost drawing blood, still with his head in the darkness between his chest and his bent knees, What am I doing? He whispered. What am I doing here? By the flaming armpits of the Diane, what happened here? Derry was grinning wildly. Ningcain had, up until now, been a quiet little village famous for its bread. Or so she had heard. Now, she and Lon were looking out over the charred skeleton of a village. Had she not known better, she would have guessed the fire had raged half a moon phase ago. But she did know better. The Ori still moving among the ruins, the wails and muttering. This was recent. Someone had just guided the flames a little somewhere along the way. Seems we have a pyromancer on our hands. She added, grabbing onto Lon's underarm enthusiastically. Is your little Ori one of those? I didn't ask. Ugh. Next time we get a job, could you please let me talk to your employers as well? This is ridiculous. I'm just going with expecting every annoying kind of magic I've ever heard of. Always. I don't like surprises. Lon was leaning against a tree. The two of them were standing on the other side from where the fire had raged, near the small canal running through the village. That's actually very sensible, Derry said, crossing her arms over her chest. All right, trauma like this isn't the best environment for friendly questions. Even the well-meaning answers tend to be skewed like bent probes. She turned to Lon when she didn't get a reply, and saw that the grimy Ori was sitting down, hunched on the ground, poking at a pattern of depressions. Well? Derry said impatiently. Mistmares were here, Lon said. That's... odd. What, you thought they'd stop their usual schedule of chaos spreading for our benefit? (laughs) No, I... (laughs) she grunted. If our quarry was here... Why, why didn't they catch them themselves? Perhaps they have already. Every implication of that thought looked as if it was confusing to Lon. Derry could guess why. On one hand, she felt fooled, and that made her angry. On the other hand, she couldn't find a single reason for the Miss mass to send her and pay half in advance if they were just going to collect the one they were hunting themselves. That makes no sense, Derry said, as helpfully as she could. Exactly. They stood there, watching the quiet, huddling Ori in the town moving from husk to husk, seeking for things that would never be again. Then, Derry heard something completely different. Anger. And not a deep, justified rage. Petty anger. Anger she could work with, she turned towards the sound. The small stable about a hundred yards off was intact as far as the fire went. Three ori stood by it, two of them in very fine-looking clothes, another in soot-flecked sack trousers and a woollen vest. The two former were yelling at the latter. There he tapped Lon on the shoulder. Give me a few ten breaths, all right, puppy? Lon shrugged. Derry could make out words when she got a little closer. You saw them leave? <laughs> I thought it'd just gotten stolen, but now you're saying you were actually in a position to stop them? Even Derry couldn't blame the soot-stained Ori for just staring blankly, exasperated, at the other two. The Ori, who was not currently yelling, but also dressed in finery, pulled at their friend. Viala, we can find another carriage... They are passing through here regularly. It's not the carriage, and you know it. The first Ori hissed at his companion, tearing his arm from their grasp. Excuse us, the slightly calmer one said to the third Ori. The fancily dressed couple walked off. I am sorry you had faced such callousness, Masse. Derry said, both happy and disappointed that Lon couldn't hear how collected she sounded. Is that what you call it? (laughs) Fucking vultures, he said, spitting on the ground towards where the other two were moving. Derry shrugged. Fair enough. I didn't want to be the first to point it out, she smiled. He smiled back carefully, looking Derry over and seemingly not coming to any conclusion about her intentions. Look, I don't want to bother you for longer than needed, she continued. But I'm trying to find a friend of mine. Seeing this... She motioned towards the other side of the village. I, well, I fear the worst. But then I overheard the two vultures. She cleared her throat. She was unused to this. Don't slip now. A vague hope. But could you describe the Ori who took the carriage, perhaps, if you saw them? I was... I was going to go for help. The fire, the mares... He sighed, his thick grey moustache twitching. Yeah, there were two of them. A little difficult to make out in the darkness. Both had dark hair, long. Couldn't make out much more of one of them. They were in the arms of the other. The one who was carrying, they had a long robe on. Hmm. Not much more I can tell you. Wasn't my main priority, if you get my meaning. I do. It wasn't enough. It could be anyone she tried to tell herself that it had been worth a shot and that it was absolutely not necessary to take any anger out on this stranger. Apologies for disturbing you in your grief, Marse, she said, hearing that her voice had turned a little brighter, a little less controlled. Time to move. Hey, he said when she had already taken a few steps. She spun around. Listen, I was angry, still am, but... You're saying you're a friend of theirs? I shouldn't let my anger hinder someone else's happiness. I don't know if it helps, but I think they dropped this. He held out a little black box towards Derry. found it on the ground. No one here has something fancy like this. And if those two, he nodded in the direction of the now disappearing couple, had lost something like this, you know they'd be loud about it. Derry stared at the little thing, before gingerly reaching out and grabbing it. A personal effect. The direction needed. Taryn didn't like it when she needed to stay alert this many days in a row. Normally, she would chew her matter roots every night, and the half day of a lazy bus it left wasn't a problem. She used the time until noon to think, to have conversations with the Ori and Ceremia who required it, and left more demanding things to the afternoon and evening, when the dozy feeling of the route had relented for the day. But the three of them were to leave first thing the coming dawn, because it felt as if time was of the essence. But that thing, yes, probably an ender, had shown her, lingered. Maybe changing geographical place didn't matter at all, but she didn't care. If getting out of here would ease her paranoia, that was a desired effect in itself. She turned in the bed with a pained grunt. Dulling her singing, searing nerves had turned into habit. She restocked on matter roots without giving it a second thought. Now, not having used it, it was at least clear that she still needed the alleviation. The pain was most definitely still there. It was like electricity and acid in her veins, all through her left side. The day had been spent planning and getting everything ready for their trip. Lydia hadn't woken up until noon and it had annoyed Taryn. She knew it was uncalled for, her stupid nerve damage wasn't his fault. Not technically, at least. They had a bit of a falling out. Just the usual petty nonsense they had always been up to. It probably seemed antagonistic to others, maybe to Crow as well. But it was just familiarity, just how they did things, how they had always done things. Other things than pain were on her nerves, not letting up. She hadn't mentioned the fact that Vesh tended to move now and then, and that she didn't know whether he had done so again. When Lidgy had recounted his and Crow's journey so far, she had detected tension on the subject of similar uncertainties, the whole not knowing whether someone was where you last put them thing. So she hadn't said anything. On top of that, she didn't actually know if Vesh would be able to find Kira, the expert on Enders, either. She always kind of zoned out when Vesh talked about the ins and outs of chatting with the dead. Not her field of interest. To, to everything that annoyed her. Sighing, she sat up giving up on the idea of sleep altogether. She had introduced Crow and reintroduced Liggy to Mane the previous night as well. Tyrone had been a little confused about Liggy only warning Crow that Mane was a Kega, not the fact that she was also a walking corpse. The meeting hadn't exactly gone well, but not terribly either. Myrmaine was a social creature, despite the warnings Vesh had given Taryn about how personality might not necessarily survive being brought back and bound to a body. But so far, she was the same preciously curious and positive Kega she had been when she was still alive 40 or so years ago. Despite Myrmaine's friendly manner, Crow had not wanted to pat her. Taryn didn't exactly blame them, fear of Kega or not, she did smell a bit. And the large hole in her side that refused to stay healed, causing her every breath to sound a little bit like a broken trumpet, probably didn't help either. But Taryn loved that bloody animal. She hoped Lydia got some sleep. That meant he could dry the first stretch. For the twentieth time she started to go over everything she had probably forgotten to pack, when she suddenly heard a knock on the door to her bedroom. Uh, yes? She said out into the darkness. Unless you're a patient, then no. Crow's head peeked in, and with it, light from the larger room outside the door. We need to leave. Now. Not only had it been a personal effect, the little black device was important. The direction was clear, certain, bright in her mind. They had obviously needed to hurry, and had needed something other than their own legs to move as fast as the hurry demanded. Derry was sure the Ori and the stables would understand. What was another two disappeared rungas after all? His whole town was sacked. He had bigger problems. Good on him for getting something to take out his anger on. It didn't matter now. They were so close. It was always bittersweet to her, knowing their quarry was near, but exhilarating as well. How would they react? How much of a fight will they put up? She laughed into the wind, rushing against her face as they swept along the dirt road, the long, segmented legs of the rungus darting them forward in a whirl. Lon wouldn't be able to bring this one up in a couple of years as an example of Derry's incompetence, This one would go down as a job well done. Crow, you need to make just a little bit of sense. Tarim was getting dressed, despite her complaining tone, but apparently she did it too slowly for Crow's liking. The blue-haired Ori was urging both her and Lidikai on in quite ineffective ways, moving bags and cloaks closer to the door. They exhaled sharply through their nose. I've been warned, okay? Yeah, not helping, Taryn said, wincing, pain obvious on her face. Fuck it, she whispered, and went for her jar of roots, shoving one into the side of her mouth, biting down as hard as she could. Lidikai watched her do it, knowing what the root was for, but not her reason for needing it. Ugh! Crow suddenly exclaimed, starting both Lidikai and Taryn. The world... "'Tilted, like a ship, almost overturned by a wave. "'Get your stuff. Don't forget anything. "'Get out into the carriage, quickly.' "'Both Lady kai and Terran stopped their sullen reluctance immediately, "'did everything Crow asked efficiently, in silence. "'Within a few ten breaths, Lady Kai was in the driver's seat of Terran's rickety carriage, "'holding the reins to Myomain, "'a torch next to him lighting the way in the dark, overcast night.' They were a good five hundred yards away before he snapped out of it, realising what Crow had done. The realisation creeped around his spine, all over his skin, all the way down to his stomach. He bent over the edge of the carriage and threw up. Lon. Another bookcase overturned. Another armchair torn to shreds. "'Lon!' Drooling, claws at the ready, sweat-sticky skin, wicked, wide eyes, pupils like pinpricks in them, Lon turned to Derry at her raised voice. Derry stiffly observed her companion. If a companion was what Lon was right now, it was more like being looked at by a prowling, starving dog. "'Oh, well, I guess it is your turn.' (laughs) Derry shrugged and stepped out into the night again, leaving Lon to go about her business, tearing up the interior of the little cottage outside the walls of Cheyramir. It was as if someone had snapped the connection to the owner of the little black box Derry was now spinning in her hand. Lon had managed to gather a scent. Unfortunately, it seemed that scent had also been masked in its departure from this place. Lon hadn't reacted well to that realisation. Derry, however, found the information quite intriguing. Everything is useful. And everything was very far from lost. She still had contacts all over Runa, who kept their eyes out already. She had their bases covered. They would find their track again as many times as needed. Lon knew this. But Derry could absolutely sympathise with the need to blow off some steam. They had been so very close, after all. The dog had smelled her prey and lost it. But Derry admitted that she was actually a little happy. The hunt wasn't quite over yet.